0: Well, we're in this series right now called The Messengers, and uh, we're working through this series right now, uh, five messengers in the book of Acts that God used to powerfully spread his message. started in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said it would, and then moved to Judea, and then to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, um, you know, last week we got to look at our first messenger, it was the apostle Peter, And in the message of the Apostle Peter, we learned a very important lesson, and here was that, yes, oh, thank you, yes, let's dismiss the children to TC Kids right out this way. Thanks. You guys sure you don't want to hear this message? It's going to be really good. So we're working on this series called The Messengers, and we talked about the Apostle Peter and and the lesson that God had for us in his message. And here was that lesson that we learned last week. It was don't write them off. That was the lesson. I think we have that on the slides here. Don't Write them off. We said, don't write them off. Instead, write them down. And last week, if you were here with us, we had our impact cards. We'll bring those back again at the end of the message today. But we had our impact cards, and we started thinking about the people that we were praying for, and writing down their names, trusting that hey, no matter what I think about those people, no matter my perception or or who I think God could save or who He could, that's not my place. That's not my part. You heard Tim say that. My part is just to pray, God's the one who saves. And I want you to know that Katrina's name has been on Tim and Pam's impact card for years. And they've been faithfully praying that the Lord would save them. And here's how it happened, because you need to know, the way that this happened is um, Kina. Uh, received the Lord and, and he watched this Billy Graham message on YouTube about the prodigal son and after he received the Lord he got Katrina in the room with him and they watched it together and he was sitting there kind of having some tears he said you know crying about things I don't have business crying about You he, he had some tears going and he looked over and Katrina was just sobbing And the Lord was working on her heart. And there's a YouTube video that you can listen to to hear her whole story. We'll make sure that that gets shared. Uh, But you can hear the entire story. But she just said, I just, I grew up in church. I grew up hearing this message, but I just didn't know how much God loved me until he showed me in that moment. And if you know the Lord, you can relate to that. And if you don't know the Lord, he wants you to know that. He wants you to know him and his love for you and his grace for you. And so last week, what we saw in the first message in this series is don't write them off. And this is a testimony of that this morning. This is why you shouldn't write anyone off. And we're going to see this lesson actually again in the message this morning. It pops back up. So we'll, we'll, we'll show it again, and then we'll learn a second lesson this morning. Morning, and we're going to be looking at the, uh, one of the first deacons in the church. His name was Stephen. And so that's who we're going to be looking at this morning for message two. And in just a moment, we'll fill in the blank. What is the lesson from Stephen the deacon? If you have your Bible with you this morning, then I hope you do, open with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And as you open there... Our second messenger in the series from the book of Acts is a deacon by the name of Stephen. And Stephen is our second messenger in the series because he was the second person in the book of Acts to preach the gospel. And that's what we're looking at in this series. We're looking at five messengers that God used to powerfully send out his message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And aren't you glad that it was to the uttermost parts of the earth? Because you realize you're on the opposite side of the world from where this happened. It needed to go to the uttermost parts of the earth for us to be the benefactors, for us to receive this gospel. And God did this powerfully, and he did it by his spirit, and it was a work of Jesus, and he alone can save, but he chose to use his messengers. You are those messengers, So the first time Stephen is mentioned in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 6. And here's how this is going to flow a little bit this morning. We're going to get to know Stephen a little bit. That's part of the fun of a character study. We get to know a person in the Bible through what the scriptures bear witness about them. And then once we get to know Stephen, we can look at the lesson. We can discover the lesson that God has for us this morning. So let's start by getting to know him. He appears the first time in Acts 6, and some have speculated maybe Stephen was a part of that 120 that was at Pentecost. And in that upper room, those people who first received the Holy Spirit. Others have speculated maybe he was even one of the 500 to whom Jesus appeared after his resurrection that Paul talks about. Those 500 people that saw him alive after his resurrection. But as you look into history, there's no record that indicates one way or another. Was Stephen part of that 120? Was he part of the 500? Was he part of the initial 3,000 that came to the Lord and were saved um, after Pentecost? Or did he come to the Lord at a later time? You know, we're not exactly sure exactly where uh, Stephen's journey began as far as his walk with the Lord. But this is what we do know. By the time Stephen is first mentioned in the scriptures in Acts chapter 6, God's people had already noticed Stephen's faith. They had already taken note of the kind of person that he was because of Jesus. And I want you to see it. Look at how Stephen is first introduced in the book of Acts, Acts 6, 1 through 6. This is uh, where, where we'll begin. You have your Bible with you and we'll start right here. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, I want you to get the picture of what's happening here. There's two different groups of people that are part of the church, and there's a conflict arising because one of the groups of widows is being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So the church was taking care of these widows, making provision for what they needed, but some of the widows were being neglected, and this was a problem. The church understood this to be a problem. And so what did they do about it? It says, and the twelve. That word twelve right there is referring to the twelve apostles, okay? They were the leaders of the first church. The twelve summoned the full number of disciples. It's talking, the full number of disciples, it's saying the church, They gathered up the church. They said, hey, let's have a church meeting. We need to talk about this. Let's have a business meeting. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. There's some characteristics that they were looking for, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, so they saw the need for these various roles in the church that there were some called by God to prayer and to the ministry of the word, there were other others called by God to serve and to meet these physical needs because this is who we 're called to be as the body of Christ, and church is a team sport it 's something that we do together, and so This is what they recommended, those 12 apostles to the church. And in verse 5, it says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. I think we need to be aware of that. This was a good solution. This was something that the whole gathering of the church, all the disciples, were pleased about. And they chose, and it starts to list them, and they chose Stephen right there. You can highlight it, underline it, circle it. This is the first time. Stephen's name appears in our Bible. They chose Stephen, and look at what it says about Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen's the only one who gets this introduction this way. That's important. And then it goes on to list the others, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So this was Stephen's introduction. This is the first time that he's mentioned in the Bible. Stephen is first, when Stephen is first mentioned, he is the only one of the seven deacons called a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen is identified as someone who is full of faith. What does it mean to be someone who is full of faith? Well, here's a working definition. To be full of faith means to trust God to provide all that is needed to do his will. That's what it means to be full of faith. I trust you, God, to provide all that is needed for me to do your will. Stephen had great confidence in God, so much so that others took notice, right? They called him, right here at the beginning, a man full of faith. And then Stephen is also called a man full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? To be full of the Holy Spirit means depending on God for the power to do his will so where does this power come from in order for me to be the messenger in order for me to be a disciple in order for me to be the person god has called to, does it come from me Does it come from my strength and my abilities? Stephen didn't believe that. He depended on God for the power that he needed to do God's will. Stephen did did not try to muster up his own strength or summon his own abilities to do the work God called him to do. And we're going to see it. Stephen looked to God for the power and the ability to carry out the mission of Jesus. The way Stephen looked to Jesus for all he needed made Stephen a very effective messenger. I want you to see this as the story continues to unfold. In fact, the Holy Spirit saw fit to do miracles through Stephen. Miracles, like signs and wonders. Look at Acts 6-8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was doing signs and wonders as he depended on the Holy Spirit for what he needed. There were some who tried to contend with God by disputing the message Stephen spoke. And I I want you to know I worded that, crafted that very carefully. They were not contending with Stephen. They were contending with God. Because the message that Stephen spoke was God's message. He spoke through the Spirit to other people. That's the message that counts. That's the message that matters and makes a difference in people's lives. So Stephen had people who were contending with God, disputing God's message with him, but their efforts fell short because God was with Stephen. God was with him, look at Acts 6.10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. That's pretty impressive because I want you to know the guys who were contending with him were well-educated men. They were people who really knew the scriptures, were very religious, and they could not contend with him. They could not dispute what Stephen was saying. So what happens when that's the case? Well, Stephen's opponents desired to silence him. They wanted Stephen quiet, but they could not contend with his message, so they came up with an evil plot. Much like the plot that the Pharisees came up with against Jesus. What was the plot? They started spreading lies about Stephen and accusing him of blasphemy. These false witnesses told lies and stirred up the people and the elders. And eventually, you see it here in 11 and 12, Stephen was brought into custody and he was placed on trial in front of the whole Jewish council. So do you have the picture? Do you have the picture? Here's a man who's full of the Holy Spirit, who's full of faith, and he's speaking to other people, and as he speaks to others and does these signs and wonders, God's working powerfully through him, and there's people who don't like the message that God is speaking through him, and so they start to blasphemy him, blas- accuse him of blasphemy, and they start to lie about him, and they start to say things that aren't true, and they take him into custody, and they arrest him and put him on trial in front of the Jewish council. To say the least, tensions were very high. Threats had been made by this same council before, warning the disciples to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Shots had been fired across the bow. The council had already imprisoned and beaten other disciples of Jesus because they would not stop sharing God's message Now Stephen had been arrested, lied about, and dragged into court under false pretenses. Does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar because it's exactly what happened to Jesus. That's what they did to Jesus. They lied about him, arrested him, and brought him into this kangaroo court where they made all these different false accusations against him. And you know Stephen was under no delusions. He was not oblivious to this situation. His very life was in jeopardy, and Stephen knew it. You can imagine how intense this whole situation must have felt. I mean, it's hard for us as Americans. I've never suffered to the point of bloodshed for sharing the message of Jesus with other people. You've got to try to put yourself into a situation in your mind where tensions are that high and people just want to inflict harm on you and be violent against you because they hate the message you're saying so much. It was so tense. How did all this impact Stephen's countenance? What was Stephen like under this kind of pressure? We'll look at Acts 6:15, and gazing at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That's impressive. Not exactly what I expect to read unless I understand the kind of messenger Stephen really was. That he truly was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. It is easy to see Stephen's dependence on God in those verses. He was a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, Stephen was not worried about his own life. If he had been, his countenance wouldn't be like this stephen was not appealing to his own power or abilities to provide what he needed to be god's messenger stephen had set his mind on things above while he was on trial those who plotted to slander stephen took turns lying about him in the courtroom and after a while the high priest said to stephen are these things so and now we flip the page to Acts 7 verse 1 and that is where the high priest asks stephen Are these things so? Are these lies, he didn't call them lies, but are these things that are being spoken by others about you truthful? Are they bearing truthful witness? And we need to pause and and just appreciate the intensity of this moment because Stephen's safety hung in the balance here. How he answered this question would literally be a matter of life and death for Stephen. And Stephen knew the risks. Something else Stephen knew about this council was that they were very hard of heart. They were not the sort of people that you go, oh, if I share the gospel with them, they're probably just going to repent. He knew that they were very hard of heart. He knew that they intended evil towards him. They knew, he knew that they wanted to silence him by any means necessary. He knew that many of the people in this council were part of the same group that accused and crucified Jesus tensions were high. And that's why what Stephen did next is so amazing. When the high priest asked, are these things so? Stephen didn't say something to just appease their ears. If he wanted to save his life, that's what he could have done. He could have just said something to appease them, to satisfy them, to make them feel better about what was going on. But rather than giving up, Stephen looked up to God and he trusted in Jesus and he opened his mouth and he boldly conveyed the message of Jesus in that courtroom. He told them exactly who the Christ was and it's a wonderfully crafted message. You can read it in Acts chapter seven. It's several verses long, but I would encourage you to read it because this message beautifully portrays Jesus from the perspective of a Jew a Messianic Jew, someone who had received Jesus as the Messiah. And the message was aimed right at the hearts of the hard-hearted Jewish council that stood against him as he was sharing the message of Jesus. And what really stands out in this message, to me, is Stephen's conclusion. In the message. It's in verses 51 through 53. With his life on the line, Stephen did not restrain himself from speaking the message God wanted him to speak. Without pulling any punches, Stephen spoke the message intended to incite deep conviction in the hearts of the Jewish leaders, those he knew to be hard of heart. And this is what he said You stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. If you were here last week, we talked about the importance of circumcision to the Jews. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Look at those first three lines, those first three phrases. Oh, my goodness. In this kind of intense environment, he just lays it one after another after another. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, that is Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Stephen knew who he was talking to. These council members had executed Jesus. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Wow. What a conclusion to a courageous message. These words were like throwing gasoline on a raging fire. Stephen had confronted his audience with the truth, and they hated him for it. Not disliked it, not thought it was a bad idea or disagreed, hated. Wanted this guy dead. Acts 7, 54 through 60. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, there it is again, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Probably want to note that name. He's going to be one of our messengers come up. And this is the first time his name is mentioned in the Bible. He's witnessing the first martyr. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, check out this heart. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. He died. Stephen was the first disciple of Jesus to be martyred for being God's messenger. The way the Bible tells this story about Stephen is an incredible tribute to Stephen. I don't want you to miss it. Luke is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and in in this time frame, these authors, if, if they were skilled, and Luke was very skilled, would be able to incorporate into their writing and literature profound things that really gave a tribute. And held things up and, and drew attention to them. It would be kind of like our version of highlighting something or underlining something. The way they would write about something would draw attention and make you marvel at it, make you make it stand out to you. And Luke takes great care to honor Stephen in this passage that you see in front of you by making sure we understand how Stephen's death reflected Jesus. How does Luke honor Stephen? By making sure that we understand how Stephen's death reflected Jesus. Let me show you. When Stephen was dying, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That was in verse 16. Well, Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke 23, 34, while Jesus was on the cross, what does Luke write about what Jesus said? Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you see the parallel? Do you see how he's emphasizing, look at how Stephen looks like Jesus. Look at how Stephen is reflecting Jesus. He does it again. Before he died, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. And in in the gospel of Luke, in Luke 23, 46, on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Look at those parallels. Aren't those wonderful? Is there anything better than being compared to Jesus? Could there be any better honor? Luke is honoring Stephen. What an incredible picture of Jesus that we have in Stephen. We are so fortunate to have the story of Stephen preserved in our bibles. And so, what is the lesson? You've gotten to know Stephen now. What is the lesson that God has for us from this messenger called Stephen? Well, the first one I told you, we wanted to look at it again and make sure we held it up and noticed. The first lesson is don't write them off. Just like it was Peter's lesson last week, this is Stephen's lesson this week. Don't write them off because the people that Stephen were speaking to, these people were very hard of heart. I mean, Wouldn't it be easy to write off a group of people that are very hard of heart? I mean, for Stephen to speak a message that would just appease their ears and say, oh, I'll just get by this situation and then get back to the witnessing that I've been doing. Stephen didn't do that. Instead of writing them off, he was filled with courage. And that's the second lesson that I want us to see. The other lesson from Stephen, and the one we'll take a little more time to focus on, is don't be afraid Take courage in God. This is message number two. Messenger number two, Stephen. Don't be afraid. Take courage in God. So what made Stephen so courageous? And what we're going to see this morning is what Stephen was like in his character. It will help us understand how we can be courageous like Stephen was courageous. So what made Stephen so courageous? First, Stephen trusted God would provide all he needed to do God's will. He was full of faith. Second, Stephen depended on God for the power he needed to be God's messenger. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And third, Stephen was prepared to share God's message. We get to read Stephen's message in Acts 7. So look at these three. The first one, Stephen trusted God, would provide all that he needed to do God's will. Stephen was not worried about his own life. Don't you agree? I mean, weren't there ways to get out of this situation? I mean, at least to try. He could have at least tried to get out of this situation by approaching this whole thing differently. But Stephen was not worried about his own life. Clearly, Stephen had entrusted his life into God's capable hands. Stephen knew that the outcome of this trial would be whatever God wanted it to be. That's what Stephen knew. He didn't know what the outcome of the trial was going to be. As far as we know, he didn't have a prophetic word that this was going to be the moment that he was martyred and killed as the first martyr for being the messenger that Jesus called him to be. He didn't know that, but what did Stephen know? Well, he was a man full of faith, so he knew that God would provide for whatever he needed to do God's will. Stephen had faith that if God wanted him to walk out of that courtroom, he would have just walked out. He believed that. Stephen had faith that if God wanted him to be imprisoned and then released from the prison miraculously, that God would just do that. It had already happened to some of the apostles. Stephen believed that that could happen to him. Stephen believed, this is why he didn't write them off, Stephen believed that if the Holy Spirit wanted to fall heavy on that room, and convict the hearts of those hard-hearted Jewish council members that Jesus was the Messiah and bring revival in that place that the Holy Spirit could do it. Stephen believed, whatever is needed for me to be God's messenger, whatever is needed for me to do God's will, God is going to provide it. And in this case, what God provided was the grace Stephen needed to reflect Jesus in the way he died. Come on, American church. This is not a very westernized idea. The prosperity gospel is really strong in this country. If I'll do it all right and follow God the right way, if I'll, you know, t- say the message the right way and be the loving person I'm supposed to be, no one will hate me for it. No one will disagree. No one will want me injured or killed or suffering. Come on. That takes away, it shortchanges Stephen, God's messenger. He's the example of what it looks like to reflect Jesus. And he believed, God, you're going to provide whatever I need to do your will. And God said, you're right. I'm going to provide you the grace you need to die like me. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Stephen took these words of Jesus seriously. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, I've heard well intended Christians really mess up these verses because they read these verses and they say, oh, okay, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to do a 30-day fast from any kind of music except Christian music. Or I'm going to start waking up an hour earlier. Okay, we could do another sermon on fasting and we could talk about how it glorifies God we could talk about how these disciplines do please God. So we shouldn't say, oh, that doesn't matter. But if you put that in this context, you're missing what Jesus said. Because Jesus was not talking about giving up chocolate when he talked about dying in Matthew 16. Jesus, when he said, take up your cross, it was the instrument of death and torture that was predominant in his day. All of his disciples had walked by someone being crucified, and Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. And in order for him to fulfill the mission, that was going to be necessary he was going to have to die and he said you want to be like me you want to follow me if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me and Stephen is the perfect illustration for what Jesus meant whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it what Stephen had found in Jesus was someone that he could entrust his very life to because Stephen believed that if he was killed that God was going to raise him up from the dead. You want to know where courage comes from? That's where don't be afraid, take courage. You want to know where you get the courage? You believe that. You believe that if someone kills me, God's going to raise me up from the dead. You can't stop him. You can't stop his message, you can't stop his messengers. We can't be killed. You've been raised with Christ. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are a new creation in Christ. No man can touch you. Because who you really are is who you are in the spirit, right? This is just a vessel. This is just a body. We walk around in this thing. We do ministry. We should take care of it. God gave it to us for. But hey, when this thing dies, I'm not dead. I am still alive. Stephen knew that. Why, can't, why wouldn't I have courage? Why wouldn't I believe that God is going to provide whatever I need to do his will? Stephen's confidence came from being full of faith. He trusted God to provide all he needed to do God's will. That's the first one. Here's the second one about where did his courage come from? Stephen depended on God for the power he needed to be God's messenger, to be someone who was full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, full of the Holy Spirit. I'm depending on God for the power I need. Stephen clearly was not concerned with the outcome of his witness. And I want you to think about this for a second in your own witness. Let's say you're about to walk into a room where you know I'm intending to try to share the gospel message here. Or an opportunity comes up and you feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit. Talk about me. Speak about me to these people. I hope you feel that. If you're in Christ, I believe he does prompt you to that. You might quench it. But every one of us who is in Christ is called to be a messenger. And so you feel that prompting, and you're, and you're, what's on your mind when that's going on? Is it, I don't know if I can say it the right way. I don't know if I can do this the right way. I don't know if they'll like me for this. I don't, will they accept me? Will they reject me? Oh, they might reject me. Oh, that would feel so terrible. Stephen was not concerned about the outcome of his witness, that made him courageous. If Stephen's witness was conditioned upon the outcome, he would have never spoken the message he spoke in that room of stiff-necked people. But that's not where his focus was. The courtroom was not the first time that Stephen had depended on God's power to be God's messenger. He had experienced God's power in doing ministry through the signs and wonders God did in him. He had experienced God's power through the words that God gave him to speak words of wisdom And now he was experiencing God's power in the courtroom to be the messenger that God wanted him to be. And that enabled him to not focus on what will be the outcome of me sharing this message. He just was able to focus on this. I just want to please the one who gave me the message. I just want to please him. I just want to glorify him. This message is worth sharing. God, you can handle the outcome. That's your part. My part's just to speak the message boldly the way that you've called me to speak it. So now before this council Stephen's focus was not on the people in the room his focus was on Jesus how did Stephen's countenance in God impacted or faith in God his confidence in God impacted his countenance well you probably remember in Acts 6:15 and gazing at him all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel Where does that ability come from It comes from really being courageous because you know that God's responsible for the outcome. This is going to be by his might and his power. Whatever happens is in his hands. When his life was literally on the line, Stephen was at perfect peace because he wasn't depending on his own power. He wasn't depending on his own ability. He was depending on God. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit spirit. That's the second one. And here's the third and last one. Stephen was prepared to share God's message in Acts 7. We see the message. Stephen was prepared to share God's message. So where does the power come from? Stephen knew where it came from. No particular words he was going to speak were going to be the words that would save anybody, right? I mean, you don't believe that, do you? Stephen didn't believe that. He didn't think, well, if I craft this message the right way, they'll get saved. I mean, was that the outcome for Stephen? It certainly was not. It's not what happened. No, no, no one of us, not one of us can save anybody by carefully crafting a message to share with them God's message. So let's get that straight from the start. We have no power to save anyone. God alone saves. But in Stephen's story, we see a person who was full of courage and we see a person who clearly knew God's message part of the reason that Stephen was able to be so courageous is because he knew the message that God wanted him to speak. You know, a lot of courage comes from that, right? I mean, here's why it comes from that. If I go out and I speak a message, but it's not God's message, I have no confidence whatsoever that God's gonna back my words. If I share a message with you that is not God's message, I can forget about God's power being in it. I can forget about exercising faith to depend on God for whatever I need for him to provide his will because God's not going to back a message that is not his message. But did you know that God always backs his message? That there's never a time that his words fail. God is faithful to always back his words. And he says that when I send my word out, it always accomplishes what I sent it out to do. So if you want to be a courageous messenger, look at Stephen's example. What Stephen was able to do is he didn't depend on his own ability to share a word with others. He depended on God for that power. But he did apply himself to learn the message. In fact, compare sometime in your own personal Bible study, Peter's message in Acts 2 and Stephen's message in Acts 7. Peter was an apostle. Stephen was a deacon. And guess what? Stephen's message is like packed with scripture, like more so than the one that Peter shared in Acts 2. It lays out the Jewish history. It recounts all these passages of scripture. It's longer than Peter's message was in Acts 2. It's a beautifully crafted message that demonstrates his knowledge of the word of God, his knowledge of the message. If you wanna be a courageous messenger, apply yourself to learn the message. Apply yourself to learn the word of God. Don't make the excuse, well, I just don't know how to share it. Come on, preach it to your own soul first. That's what we learned in forever. If you don't know how to share it, then how in the world are you preaching this to your own soul? If you don't know how to share it, if you're not preaching this to your own soul, if you, if you came and asked me, my, my uh, inclination would be, are you winning in your life? I know I would not be winning in my life over sin and in the message. Anytime I stray from the message and preaching the gospel to my own soul, I start to struggle in the flesh. I got to preach the gospel to my own soul. You need to learn this well enough that you can preach the gospel to your own soul and then preach it to other people. Share his message. And courage will come from that because you go, I know how to share the message. I know how to be God's messenger. So, this is the lesson God wants us to learn from his messenger, Stephen. Don't be afraid, take courage in God. That's the message. Don't be afraid, take courage in God. Just like Stephen, we need to apply these things to our own life. To be God's courageous messengers, we must be like Stephen. First, we must trust that God will provide all we need to do his will, full of faith. And then we need to depend on God's power to be his messengers, full of the Holy Spirit. And then we need to prepare to share God's message, grow in our knowledge of the word of God. You want to be courageous like Stephen? Look at his example. That's what Stephen did. And Stephen's story is so inspiring. I love his story because it it motivates me. When I look at someone who's willing to put it all on the line like that because of their conviction about the message, their conviction to be the messenger, it makes me want to be like that. I mean, I see it in Ukraine right now. Whenever we talk about the church in Ukraine, we've talked about it the last three weeks in a row. When I see Christians who say, we're choosing to stay behind, We could flee to safety. We're choosing to stay behind because this place needs messengers. Man, that inspires me. Stephen inspires me. The way he chose to put his life on the line to be God's messenger. And more than just inspire us, Stephen's story gives us the right motivation for being God's messenger. What is the right motivation? What is it? When we are courageous messengers, we bring pleasure to Jesus our Lord. This might be my favorite part of the story. How do we know that Stephen's courage brought pleasure to Jesus? There's an important detail. If you still have your Bible open to Acts 7, there's an important detail that describes what Jesus is doing in this story. And look at it again in verses 55 and 56. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What was Jesus doing in the vision that Stephen had? Jesus was standing up. He was standing up. The scriptures, the whole council of God tells us everywhere you look, it's he's seated at the right hand of God. He's seated at the right hand of God. Not in Stephen's story. In Stephen's story, he's standing. What is this standing? It's a natural human reaction. I mean, think about soldiers. And when we see their courage, what do we do in honor of those soldiers? We want to stand up, right? I mean, you're not going to just sit there casually. Whenever, No, when you hear the story of a soldier who is courageous, it makes you want to stand in their honor to stand for their sacrifice and what they've done for this country. Or what about a cancer patient? If you hear about someone who's beat cancer, right, and uh, and that this is something that's changing in them, we want to stand up for that, like celebrate with them, right? I don't just want to sit there and say, oh, hey, congratulations. You know, no, I stand up, give them a big hug, tell them how excited I am for them. That's a natural human response. Or what about just in a room like this, if we were To honor someone up here and talk about the courage that led to an achievement of theirs what do we want to do a standing ovation we want to stand up in their honor when stephen saw jesus jesus was not sitting he was standing god got up for stephen jesus is god god got up for stephen standing was an affirmative action in which jesus was demonstrating his pleasure in stephen's courageous witness Luke compared Stephen to Jesus in the gospel writings. God's people recognized Stephen as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself stood in honor of Stephen. Is there any greater honor than being compared to Jesus, than being honored by Jesus? Is there a better motivation that we could have in our hearts to be courageous messengers than to please King Jesus? If you know Jesus, you know that's the best motivation. So the question I have for you this morning is do you know Him? Do you know King Jesus? Oh my goodness, he will change you. Ask Katrina, ask Kina. Will Jesus change you? He will change you. He makes you completely different. Everything that you were and you thought you were, he just takes it and just spins it right around and it's the best thing ever. Like to know his love, and to know his grace and the kind of courage. I mean, look at this inspirational story from Stephen, the kind of person he turns us into when we know him. Do you know Jesus? That's where this starts this morning. And if you don't know Jesus, I want you to recognize something. Jesus knows you, he sees you right where you are, he knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows all the hangups. He knows all the reasons why you haven't surrendered your life to him. And he's just patient. And he's here right now. And through his Holy Spirit, he will bring you from death to life. Because the Bible teaches this, that on our own, in our sin, we are separated from God. And that's what the Bible calls being spiritually dead. Being spiritually dead, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's worse than physically dead. Physically dead is my body separated from my soul and my spirit. It's worse than that. Because physically dead, that's just in this world. Spiritually dead is an eternal thing. And though you are dead in your trespasses and sins, though you rebel against God, God loves you and is full of grace towards you and wants you to know his goodness. All oh, what we deserve for our sin is his judgment. What we deserve is his justice. What he gives is his grace. What he extends is his mercy. And if you will call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. What he'll do is he'll take your dead sinful spirit and he'll unite it with the spirit of God so that the two become one and you are in christ you'll be raised with christ seated with christ in the heavenly places your life will be hidden with christ in god and you will become a new creation in christ all your sins forgiven and that is available to you today and i believe this that if you hear the word of the lord that he's speaking to you you will be saved right now if you will pause and just say lord who are you show yourself to me in a moment in a moment a change of life filled with the holy spirit a person who becomes full of faith to do the will of god in your life do you need to receive jesus this morning that's where we're going to begin i'm going to ask you if you would bow with me in prayer right now put your focus on just you and god like stephen in that courtroom He had all these other people around and he just looked up to heaven. Just look up to heaven. Do you see Jesus? If you want to be changed by God and your sins forgiven, if you want a new life in Christ, then just tell Jesus right now. It's really simple. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me.